0: The AP podcast is sponsored by Epitaph Records, the home to new releases from Leathermouth, Frank from My Chemical Romance's new side project of Screamy Ank's Punk. The debut album from Leathermouth is released January 27th. And Screamo Icons Thursday with their first full-length record in 3 years. Common Existence. Currently headlining Taste of Chaos with Bring Me the Horizon, Common Existence comes out February 17th. For more information on these and other new releases, sign on to Epitaph.com. William Roy Francis is the tortured, charismatic lead singer for the Seattle-based post-hardcore band Aiden. The 27-year-old guyliner-encased chain-smoker joined the band in 2003, first as its basis before assuming vocals after the lead singer quit. Later signed to the marketing powerhouse label Victory Records in 2005, the band released three full-length albums, each staple gunning them firmly onto the book bags of both the underground goth scene and the suburban hot topic crowd ever since. The words live fast are logically tattooed on his knuckles, and represent the tough-loved years he's lived on this planet thus far. He suffered through a troubled youth that included being kicked out of school and out of the house, a heroin addiction, over two dozen arrests, and a 1999 New Year's Eve mass murder-suicide plan to end the century and himself that never came to fruition. After a quick release of their EP Rain and Hell in 2007, the band followed with Conviction, a record produced when Francis was rather content with his life for once, but that resulted with critics and fans referring to the work as energyless and dull and too much of a departure from the Aiden sound. Late in 2008, Francis branched off from the band to start a new project, William Control whose sound harkens back to the late 1980s industrial rock revolution that broke out of Chicago's Wax Tracks Records, and has lyrics that mirrored the dark-ridden cynicism of many of the Belgian industrial bands of the same period. It's a work that is dark, angry, and pissed off, which is exactly the world that Will Francis lives in these days. After the crash into an intense relationship and a better-late-than-never self-discovery that he doesn't need to care what everyone thinks about him anymore, Francis appears to be just as wound up as usual, but this time with creative excitement. Or it's one hell of a nicotine buzz. Today, after having gone through rehab a number of years ago, he's an active member of AA and has started to be a featured speaker at meetings in Los Angeles and his hometown Seattle. On the road over the past few months, Francis has been joined the use of his alter ego of William Control for onstage therapy and is currently working in the studio back in Seattle, finishing up work on the next upcoming work from Aiden. And even though the world around us is falling apart, Will Francis seems, oddly enough, pretty much right at home. Quote, In this booming economy and war-torn existence, he said to me recently about the upcoming Aiden record, I couldn't be more excited about art and the prospect of shredding people with a guitar. This is Mike Shea. Of all the, uh, the interviews and stuff I've gone back over the past week or so, um, you, for some reason, some of the questioners I have asked you say, so like when you wake up in the morning, what are you wearing? Like, what do you wear to bed? And you, you kind of replied like, I just wear whatever I just wore. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even change. So it's like you all didn't And yeah, you're pretty much probably wearing what you wore to bed last night. Uh,
1: you know, I definitely am. It's with a, with a Lou Reed shirt. I love it. It's you know, I, this is my, uh. This is my lucky Lou Reed shirt. Is it a, why what what happened in it? Um is this like a girl thing or is this like no, a No, uh, definitely not. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no. So it's like a it's like it's a, like a, a, a like lucky as in we sold a lot of merch?
1: No, I bought it. I bought it in I bought it in London and then I wore it every single day of recording this last record.
0: The Aiden one or the William Control. The William Control. Okay. CD.
1: <laughs> And, uh, and I've been wearing it since. Every day. Every day. <laughs> Come on. I'm serious.
0: None of the guys have torn it off you to wash it?
1: Well, I've I mean, washed it. You know, I wash oh, okay. it every couple I, weeks.
0: I, I, I didn't know. It could be Linus. It could be Linus with the blanket. You can't let it go. I mean, look how dirty
1: it is. I got it in May. It's,
0: <laughs> it's in not May. cool unless
1: it's dirty. <laughs> it's just not cool. Like every single day. Literally every day. It's the only t-shirt I have. <laughs> By the way, um, you are you are a uh,
0: if if there was somebody that was that is probably an Anglophile, um, I would first say probably Jason, my editor, uh, and then you. You seem to be just uh, you you love England, you love London, and I didn't um, I didn't know this, but you're fast you uh, you kind of have an affinity for the uh, Victorian kind of trashy city side of uh of you know kind of like the whole romanticism of of
1: uh oscar wilde
0: well yeah oscar wilde and the, the, the that whole jack the ripper era and stuff yeah. like that you know with the with the uh, the the down and the uh unfortunate um of that whole like like what what is it about it like i have you know affinities for certain eras too like that
1: but <clears throat> i don't i don't know what it is i, mean, I guess it's just uh what interests me most is the 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 way that those people lived in the in the night you know the, the, ni- the late nineteenth century, where especially in the east end of London, it was overpopulated and crowded, and people were broke and no one had any money, and everybody was, you know, women were prostitutes and right, no child labor laws. And- there's no child nothing nothing like that. All yeah, twist, all that. Yeah, kids were begging in the streets, and it was so overpopulated that literally there would be twelve to fourteen people sleeping in a room you know and they would they they would they would let people sleep in the churches and instead of letting them lay down they would just sit them up in the pews and just tie a rope around them so it right. would save room
0: right right right
1: and i don't know what about that kind of interests me but that's it's just a very interesting like way of living like if you were from the east end of london you were poor you were a peasant whereas if, if you went just across the you know the Cross the uh, way over to West London where the theater district and it was, like, super posh. And and being, you know, going to London and, and walking those streets, it's literally, like, a few blocks away. Like, blocks. We're not talking miles where you got to take a train somewhere. You're talking, like, you could see this place from across the street. Mm-hmm. And it's, I don't know why that's so interesting to me.
0: Is it, is it something like where you, you know, I've talked about this with friends of mine in the past, like, um... i'm a huge titanic buff i mean, like I, i just something fascinates me about that whole thing and um i don't know why i have no idea why but you know you start kind of wondering like am i reincarnated have you kind of thought about that like is there something in your past that's like attracts you to it or is it you don't think it goes that new
1: agey i don't know well no i never really thought about it like that but maybe you are jack the Ripper. Maybe I am. <laughs> 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 Explains William control,
0: I guess, in a way. Yeah, yeah, you know. But you know, have you when you go to London and you hang out? I mean, is it something like you, 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 uh, you like you go off on on like you, you search out the history and you, you go on all the, uh, you know, you kind of you, you seek out those spots of historical significance or or you just kind of walk around on your
1: own and. No, I totally seek out those spots. I mean, I've done. I've been on the Jack the Ripper tour a couple of times. Really. Where...
0: Same one or different
1: ones? Well, there's... It's the same one, but it's a different person every time. Oh, uh, okay. So you get, you know, the lady who's really educated, who knows everything about it, and then you get the real cockney, you know, guy who just knows all the little tidbits of information that is just bizarre. What's your
0: theory? There's so many theory- I mean, you turn on Discovery Channel like every other weekend, and they have a new show on there saying, who was Jack the Ripper? And, you know, like, the, you know, if there was... What, it was the... It was the... Queen's or the king's uh, surgeon, or something like that. It was like one op was
1: idea, but they've now discredited that, and it was... Yeah, I mean, there's so many... I mean, it, it had to have been someone who certainly had knowledge of dissection, and, you know, it couldn't have just been some regular guy, because the way that they were killed, and the way that their intestines were removed, you know, like some mm-hmm. organs were removed where you got to know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And in those days, if if you were a peasant, I mean, you didn't even know how to read unless you were r- rich. You know, like people just didn't even know how to read. Mm. <clears throat> so, I mean, there's a lot of theories. I I don't really, I don't really get into it too deep. I, who knows? <laughs> Do
0: you, uh, is there is
1: there something you think you'd ever move to England? Totally. Yeah? Yes. I have about that. I yeah. can tell
0: even in the in the interviews you've done the way you speak about it and speak of London. It just there's something like you go to a city and and you know you're supposed to live there.
1: Yeah, it's just like one of the most beautiful, awe-inspiring cities that I've ever set hmm. foot in. You know, hmm. where you go to all these places and you you see these you see these things and for for me, London is I don't know what it, what about it. It's just really inspiring. You know, mm-hmm. there's so much history and so much. Blood and death, and you know the whole country, England as right. a whole, was built on blood and in the name of king and country, right? Which is totally bizarre and weird. It's weird to kind of walk
0: around a city and have it just be so full of history. Yeah, you know, and you always kind of wonder, like, what did they destroy to get contemporary now? Uh, that's just, uh. So you you you're, you're living in Seattle now, right? Yep. But. uh you know, a lot of times if you, uh, in, in stories and stuff like that, people say, and this person grew up in blah, but they didn't actually grow up in blah. They grew up in the suburb of blah. Is that for you too? Was it was it in Seattle you grew up
1: in or was it in the, like a suburb or? Uh, well, I was born in Seattle, like, li- like downtown Seattle, Virginia okay. Mason. And I lived with my mom and my brother. Justin? Yep. Yep. How I do you remember it. that? I do research. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, we lived there until I was about five, and then my mom moved, we moved south, just south of uh, Seattle, kind of white center area, and then my mom met my stepdad, and we moved out to Federal Way, which is a suburb. Okay, all right. About 15 miles south of Seattle, and we lived there till, till I was about 14 or 15, when I started running away and going to Seattle, and then when I finally left home, I kind of just came back up to Seattle and so like to get the story straight because one of the things that, especially in this day and age
0: with the internet there's so many <sighs> different variations of everything you know what i mean and yeah. we'll, we'll talk about uh, the internet uh, in a little bit but uh uh it, the the story is is that you uh you, your stepdad and mom owned a hardware store yep okay so far so good um and you actually worked there at one point kind of doing stock yeah
1: it was like, my first job my first that really? yeah, was like
0: the very first one, right? You were like thirteen, twelve.
1: Yeah, twelve, thirteen. Right,
0: and then uh, and you used to like steal away during your lunchtime and stuff of like that to go across the street to the library. Yeah, what'd you pick up? Like, what was that? Was it like? Could you go back and say, yeah, you know what? <coughs> that time hanging out in the library got me exposed to the works of,
1: um, or was it kind of like just? I you read know? I read The Outsiders while I was working. Oh yeah, cool. I yeah. worked there. Um, there was this other book <clears throat> that I'm a big fan of today that I read because. Kirk Cobain was into it. And uh, it's called Will There Really Be a Morning? It's the autobiography of mm. Francis Farmer.
2: Mm.
1: And it's one of the, it's probably one of the most tragic, heart-wrenching stories I've ever read, which is, which is I guess, something that I can relate to on, a, on, on the level of alcoholism and, mm. you know, the, the jump into hell. Right, right. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it was work all day sit at the library read books
0: so so like cobain and nirvana which at that time were breaking when you were about 12 13 right no he was dead he was dead already because it was 80 oh, that right it would have been 94. 91 94 yeah. right all right because yeah you were born 82 yep. so that all right that's right you're right you're right so so at that point you were already that uh, he he's he was obviously one of your major influences earlier on yeah um and uh lisa johnson put a made a photo for you i believe one yeah. of her shots? Yes, she did. Yes. Yeah. Most beautiful picture. I love Lisa Johnson. Great photography. Uh, check out her MySpace. Oh, yeah. Uh, she's it's, amazing. She's amazing. Uh, the stuff that she's just historical significance of a lot of her shots from the 90s uh, Yeah, amazing. And she's a huge fan of you. <laughs> yeah, I love her. She's You're her your, 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 your number one friend on MySpace. Yep. So, um, and she took all your William Control stuff. No. Yes. Yes, she did. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the last Aiden? Yep, shots too. Um, okay, that was our Lisa Johnson moment for the day. Um, Lisa Johnson, <laughs> Lisa Johnson. Um, so you, uh, so you, kind of coming out of that whole era. I mean, was that something with? Uh, um, not to get too music criticy about it, but uh, was there anything? Uh, what was it about Nirvana that was, and Kurt specifically that was kind of attracting to you? Was it the the at that point the tragedy of it? To the the, you seem to be somebody from the interviews I read that that. Um, is interested in in trying to understand the psyche of people.
1: Yeah, I'm totally into it. I don't know what what about it attracts me. It's so weird. I mean, I'm into morbid, grotesque, weird, dark things. People dying, suicide. I don't know what that comes from. Hmm. But, uh, I mean, at that point, I was already a huge fan of Nirvana. You know, I'd been a fan since Nevermind came out in 91. Hmm. <clears throat> what was know? it about
0: it the nirvana that was like
1: i don't know man it, it, that was the first it was the first band that i saw on television mm. that when i listened to it it hit me in a way that was it it changed my life you know when i saw smells like teen spirit on mtv when i was like 9 years old mm. it it changed everything for me it made me want to pick up a guitar and i mean i didn't even really know what Playing guitar was, and I was just like, that's what I want to do. And, uh, where did you get that first guitar, by the way? My mom gave it to me. Your mom gave it to you? Yeah. My mom, she always played guitar, you know? Oh, she did? She always had an acoustic guitar in the oh, house. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, okay. So I got my first guitar when I was about 10 uh, because of Nirvana. Okay. And, uh, I don't, I don't know. I, uh, I couldn't give you a, a finite reason why, you know, it was just one of those things where I just connected with it. And especially being in a, being in a city consumed by it, you know. Yeah. At that time, it was like Pearl Jam and Nirvana, and you know all these great like Alice in Chains, all these great bands. There was a lot of uh, uh, cliques
0: that kind of came out with with you know. Anytime you get a major scene like that in a city, that breaks into cliques at some point or another, and yeah. and and then the bands start pitting it against each other, regardless of how unified they claim to be in yeah. the press. So, did you kind of, even though that you. Everything I've read, you kind of seem like you were on the outside all that, but there, was there a particular kind of segment of that Seattle scene that you had more of a interest in, or you kind of sided more with, or anything else like that? You know what I mean?
1: No, I mean, at the time, I was just so young. You know, I was just like some kid in the suburbs who just listened to music, and, and so by the time I was old enough to start going to shows, uh, the, the Seattle, quote-unquote, Seattle scene was over. Mm-hmm. Kurt Cobain was dead, and, you know... Pro Jam moved to L.A., <laughs> right? Or whatever, you know. It, once Nirvana broke and once it became cool, Seattle's the kind of place that once something becomes cool, it, it's not cool anymore. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Where I don't know what it is about the the attitude there. The, the people are. There's a lot of people who are so pretentious about everything. You know, and. Once that's once that become became, you know, the mainstay and they started selling flannel shirts at Nordstroms, then it was time for people to go, Well, yeah, this isn't cool anymore.
0: So what did you get into after it started uh collapsing in on itself? What was like your next thing?
1: Well, I had a friend, uh, I had a friend Ian who got me into all these punk bands, um, misfits and right. the vandals and no effects and bad religion. And it and this was about uh, about thirteen, fourteen years old when I got to junior high. Okay, and uh, I started going to shows, you know, on the weekends or whenever. Right, taking the bus up to Seattle. And
0: how long of a bus ride was that? Uh, it was
1: forty five minutes.
0: All right, so it was a bit of a haul.
1: Yeah, it's not a, it's, it's not like jump on here, get off at sixtieth Street. Right, <laughs> it's like oh, let's let's go. It's noon. We're gonna be there. So. Right. <laughs> So, uh,
0: so what was like, uh, do you remember what your first punk show was?
1: Oh, what was, I can't even remember the name of the band. It was, it was out at this Grange Hall that was out in this, uh, just kind of down the street from the mall that we used to hang out at. And it was just weird local punk band I don't even know if they were local bands but I remember the guy wearing a black flag shirt and he had dyed black hair mm-hmm. you know and this and I had you know like long bleach blonde like dirty Yeah, blonde hair yeah
0: really I couldn't even see you with blonde hair
1: <laughs> it's so funny wow yeah. there's
0: a picture somewhere about with that oh yeah there has to be you should make it
1: your MySpace pic. I should. I'll I'll <laughs> I'm gonna go home and find that picture and I'm gonna scan it because it was, you know, this is old school. Yeah. This is analog. We're still talking about analog <laughs> pictures. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna put that I'm gonna put that up there. So
0: you had ble- you had long bleached blonde hair. What else what were you wearing?
1: I don't know. Probably some ripped up jeans and
0: <laughs> So it was very it was very grungy. Oh yeah. I guess in a way. Yeah. And then you got into punk. Yep. So was this again? Kind of going back to, to to kind of straighten out the stories a little bit, because um, I'd rather hear from you directly, especially on audio. Um, you know, the, the the I'll just put it all out there. The stories were um, that you didn't know your dad. You didn't know you had. You didn't know that your that your real dad was till you were like about thirteen, fourteen. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. Well, my you know my mom and dad split up when I was about one. So okay. before I could, you know, remember him. And then uh, <clears throat> when I was about, f- let's say, f- about 13 or 14, I was getting in so much trouble, you know, mm. at school, and my mom was kind of fed up with it. You know, I yeah, put her yeah. through so much stuff. She's like, she looked at my dad and was like, I'm, you're going up there. <laughs> really? Yeah. And so it was the first time I met him. And actually, the first time I went up there, she dropped me off. And I, I have another brother. I have two brothers named Justin. Oh, Okay. Wow, one of them was my dad's son, Oh. and he's six years older than me. And then my, the other one's my mom's son, which he's okay. twelve years older than me.
0: Okay, okay, okay.
1: <clears throat> so the one that's six years older, my dad's son, he had come down to our house in Federal Way. He was just getting ready to go into college, okay. and uh, he, you know, he looked us up and came down, and I met him for the first time. And so when my mom was all fed up and stuff, she took me up there and dropped me off. and And my dad lives in this cabin in the woods and it's literally in the woods wow there's no neighbors and it's about 15 miles from town
0: you know in a way that's very cool
1: it is but when you're 13 years old and you just want to smoke cigarettes and drink beer (laughs) well yeah not so much so she dropped me off and, and she dropped me off with my dad's girlfriend Okay. Who I had no idea. Who I didn't know at all. Right. This is and, now
0: Aunt Sue, right? Yeah. I right.
1: can't. Oh, Carol, I think her name <laughs> was. I don't even know. Aunt Carol. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so I dro- she dropped me off, and and uh, my dad was supposed to come home in like two weeks from Alaska because he works up in Alaska. Oh, really? Yeah. He does like pipe fitting. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So she dropped me off, and and uh, so I'm at this house alone with this lady that I have no idea who it is, and um, we get in a fight. And I ended up hitchhiking a ride back to town and just left. And, wow. And so that wasn't even the first time I met. I was supposed to meet him, but I didn't meet him. <clears throat> I didn't meet him for a couple years, a couple years later when I was 15.
0: So, so it, you know, the, the story continues is that, you know, uh, I think it kind of just jumps and it just says, and was addicted to drugs. <laughs> and then was kicked out of the house and was kicked out of the school district and then was arrested 40 times and then was. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? So it's like, I just kind of want to, because, and the reason why I'm even asking and talking about this is, is as, as um, I think as you kind of said one thing, like your past will always kind of continues to come back at you and you kind of have to continue to relive it at certain points, but it really developed the musician you are. Totally. I mean, a really huge difference, and especially the way that you write your songs and that you, as you kind of said before, you know, you, you watch people, you, int- you, you get interested in people's behavior patterns and why they go to a and m club on a Saturday night and then they're a banker on Monday morning, yeah. you
3: know, <laughs>
0: so, um, people are interesting. So what, what you know, like just kind of briefly, and I don't want to, I don't want to make this like, uh you know uncomfortable and things like that but i mean like what was the series of events so that it's like the this, 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 this correct story is out there from like after where we descended to basically when you first joined um there was a you, you had a couple of different bands you were a part of if i'm correct um uh you were in uh you were in spontaneous combustion mm-hmm. does that make sense yeah that was my first band that was the very first one so was that middle school or was that high school or uh, after you got kicked out of... Junior high. Junior high? Yeah. So what, what grade did you get kicked out of school in? Eighth. Eighth. All which- right, so you never... You, you, did you ever go to high school? No. All right, so you...
1: All
4: right.
1: Did you ever go back for a GED or anything? Or I got my GED while I was in jail. Wow. Oh. Which is something that I did because I was bored. <laughs> why not? You know? I mean, why not? Why Some not? Can't. Right, right? Yeah. Um, okay, so... I mean, I started drinking... The first time I drank was in seventh grade. And so I was 12, and it was uh, with a couple of friends of mine from school that I had met who were into the same bands as me. Okay. And so we kind of bonded on. Pre-punk. Yeah, this okay. kind of bonded on, you know, music. We were into Violent Femmes and Nirvana and Pearl Jam and stuff like the Red Hot Chili Peppers.
0: Oh, yeah, you're a huge Chili Peppers fan. Yeah. yeah. And him.
1: Him. Yeah, I like him a lot. Uh, so I started getting drunk when I was 12, and then I smoked pot for the first time when I was 13.
0: Okay, okay.
1: <clears throat> and it, and from there, it, it just kind of went, you know, for... Yeah. It just went weed into acid, into speed, into cocaine, into heroin, into shroom, you know, just kind of... you done it. Done it. Yeah. Not, I mean, pills... I was, never, I, mean, I was never one of those kids that was like, well, I don't know if we should do that. Maybe not. I was like, bring it on, you mm. know, whatever it is. So by the time I was 14, I was acting up so much in school because I was really just focused on getting loaded mm. that, uh, that I got myself kicked out and was able to focus all my energy on getting high and playing the guitar. <laughs> wow. So, th- so that was
0: like pretty much. Was that before? I the, the mean, reportedly, did your mom kick you out? Did your parents kick you out of the house?
1: Well, this is this is a, this is probably right around the same time. Oh, okay, okay. And uh, when I was let's see that the next year, I was I was just doing you know drinking and smoking weed and doing acid. And when I was fifteen, I uh, there was a stretch of period from like December to April hmm. where we just did acid every day. Wow, it was just every single day we were walking up to this guy Adrian's house that was f- six miles from where we lived, getting acid and dropping it and walking back. And by the time we got back, we were loaded. Wow. <clears throat> and and it was there was a few there was probably five or you know eight of us that were friends who were doing this like all the time wow. every every night every other night. And in December or no January, my friend. Actually, our merch guy that's with us right now, Rick, has been a buddy of mine since we were, like, fifth grade. Wow. So cool. we've been friends for a long time. That's very really cool. So his brother, his stepbrother, Ethan, was with us, and uh, he had tripped out, and he took his clothes off, and they took him to the hospital, and he, like, broke into the to the uh, the, the the medicine room and was, like, taking all these pills and just flipped out, you know, flipped wow. out on acid. And, and that kind of took us back a minute, and we were... We were all, whoa, it was a pretty scary thing. Right, right. But we just kept on doing it. We're like, screw it. So in April that year, I tripped out on acid, and I took um, like a vial of liquid acid. Okay. I don't know if maybe I'm getting too specific here, but...
3: <laughs> so Anyways,
1: either I took all my clothes off, and I ran down the street naked, and it was in front of like 15 people, and I bashed my arm through a window, and I went to... Uh, Went to the hospital yeah. and got, like, 14 staples in my arm and then ended up in treatment, which is the first oh, time I went to that's when you opened
0: it. Treat- uh, uh, so you've been in treatment more than once? Four times. Four times. To- all right, see, I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. Okay.
1: So that was the first time I went to treatment. And uh, and I got sober purely on fear, you know, just because yeah, scared, I was so— scared sp- Yes. Yeah, yeah. I was yeah. so scared of doing drugs because of that experience, losing all control over my body, you know. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> that I was, I, I stayed sober for like probably six months. So from May to November, I was sober mm-hmm. and I was going to meetings and I was trying to, I was just so scared of doing drugs. You were drugs. really trying to like do it, do it. Yeah. 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 And at that point I had, I had got into that band Spontaneous Combustion with my friend Ian. Well, actually it was, the, the band was called Marty the Weasel. which we changed that's cool I I kind of like that better (laughs) yeah Um, I want to see that on a House of Blues marquee yeah right (laughs) (laughs) it was this you know this guy Ian this guy Ian was such a creative person he was so he was such a driving force and and all the the punk kids who lived in in that part of town he used to draw this comic called Marty the Weasel that would he would just have his little adventures and we called the band that I like it
0: it sounds like a Monty Python
1: character Yeah, it was really bizarre. (laughs) But uh, so, so you were playing guitar in that? Yeah, started playing guitar in that band, and no lessons. No. Well, you know, I I I had been already playing guitar. Right, right, but you never like went
0: to the local guitar shop and got lessons. No, 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 no. no. taught, Taught taught yourself.
1: Yeah, I just got i I had this buddy who had the internet. way back in the day right? before like 90 this is now what 95 yeah 94 95
0: okay yeah yeah he had the internet where you dial up yeah yeah you had
1: to (laughs) plug in and there was no browser you know it was like a black screen (laughs) with the cursor and then you just typed in the the code yeah yeah yeah. and so we used to download tabs of all all our favorite bands and, and that that's how i learned how to play guitar wow so i'd learn you know nirvana green day songs and offspring
0: do you have no, the time
1: right yeah yep. yeah <laughs> uh so that's how i kind of learned how to play guitar and then i started you know got in this band because i was sober and they're like well you know he's sober now and i know he he likes this same kind of music as we do and so let's let's have him join the band and did you guys ever play out yeah we played a couple shows really yeah and our moms drop us off the little combo amps really yeah this place called auburn's best cafe is it still there? I don't know if it is. Where was it? it down it's down in uh down in Auburn. Down in Auburn. Okay. Yeah. Right. So um So yeah, there's about a 6-month period there where I was I was sober and I was playing music and I was uh going to meetings just trying to do the right thing. Do the right thing, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah.
1: And uh in November, I relapsed and I and I smoked pot with a, with a friend of mine. Yeah. And then a few days later Someone was offering me heroin, right? And so it was... always comes
0: around. Like once they smell that you're back in circulation, they come around again. I've had friends go through that. Yeah. You know, like it's weird. Like you try and tell your friends, like, no, 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 dude, I'm sober now. I'm straight. I'm don't have to. And but, and they kind of like look at you, like, yeah, okay, yeah, I'll wait. Yeah, I'll, I'll wait. wait <laughs> you know, it's a vicious cycle. Oh, well, it is. I mean, it's almost like the the you know. If, if, You know, friends of mine that have, that have been in recovery and are still in it, they're like, they just have to find a way to just block these people out completely. They have to either change where they live. They got to change, you know, their patterns in their life, where they go. They can't go to certain parts of town anymore. They can't. Yeah. It's difficult. It's really difficult. It really is. You have to be committed, you know, to that kind of lifestyle change. Yeah. You have to
1: hit rock bottom.
0: Yeah. You Um, know, I was going to ask you about that, um, you know, as much as like friends, I mean, you, you've got friends. I've got friends of mine that um, are currently struggling with stuff. And there's also, and part of the reason why I want to talk about this is because there's probably young musicians right now that are listening to this that think that that, you know, there's kind of that romanticism about drugs and partying and you that you have to experience you know, the, that lifestyle. I had a friend of mine in high school that was like, I gotta experience this. Yeah. This is what you're supposed to do. If you want to be a rock star, you gotta go through this so you can talk about it. Yeah. So, like, you know, from the outside now looking in, and you know, experience, I mean, what would you say to somebody? <clears throat> is there anything you can say?
1: Uh, well, I'm not, you know, I'm not a, I'm not one to give advice you know the mm-hmm. only thing that i mean no there was there's nothing that you, that anyone could have said to me like hey listen you should knock it off because this sucks right it was me i had to i had to experience those things and i had to go through it and and hit bottom myself and so i i wouldn't say to anyone you know clean up your act get a job uh right. things will get better like i w- i would probably just say just do it you know really yeah because you're not going to change everything about your life until you are in a point until you're at a point where you want to change everything. You know, and if things are just kind of going okay and you just wake up every once in a while with a hangover, I would say just keep on going and do whatever you want. You know, if if you're if you're looking for a real change like you for me, I know I know for me personally. I, I don't want to speak for everyone else, but like I had to hit a serious bottom before I was able to open my eyes and and say, uh, things need to change,
2: mm.
1: and so I, I I don't know if I I would say, you know, I, don't do drugs, kids,
0: <laughs> right? Because you know, once you say no, then everybody does it. Yeah, that's how it always is. So you were in the so so the first band you, you relapsed, and then then after once you relapsed, what was the process to get to the the, the second band?
1: Well, f- from there it was
0: which was Youth at Risk. Am I right? Yeah. Or was there was or was there another name for it? Like, no, it was Youth at Risk. Bob the Builder, or something. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, it was uh, that after after that ban, and after I started doing drugs again, I sold sold my amps, sold my guitars. Oh, okay. And it was in it, and that was the the darkest period in my life. Where, really? Yeah. Because
0: I thought it was like later on, like the '99 era or something. That was like the darker one, right before.
1: Yeah. Well, that that's it. Like right. Um, oh, so we're '97 to '99. All
0: right. So we're there. There. Okay. Yeah. Okay.
1: So from the time I was 15 to 17. <clears throat> it just got really bad, you know. I was doing uh, lots and lots of heavy narcotics. Where were you living at that time? Uh, were you ever uh, living on the street? Yeah, I lived on the street. You did live on the street. Yeah, okay. there was a peri- okay. there was periods of time where where oops that I just walked around on Broadway, you know, or downtown okay. Seattle. Okay. <clears throat> but you know, I was all you know. It's pretty. It's pretty easy to find somebody who wants to do drugs all night right you know it's just that rare occasion when all your friends are all well i you know know that you have to walk around and ride buses and
4: right right you know stuff
1: like that right right is that what you did yeah kind of like i mean i didn't have i didn't i didn't have like a box that i slept in on 54th street or right you know anything like that. right there
0: isn't there isn't a place where where fans can go in seattle and say this is where will francis lived
1: no I mean, you could just walk around the city, and that's where I lived. You know, the uh, the song Addiction?
0: Am I correct? No. Uh, what's the song I'm thinking about? I Because I watched the video last night. Uh, and it was uh, not the song 15. Die Romantic. Die Romantic. That was about a girl that you saw, was reportedly, that you saw die on the street.
1: Uh, well, no. It was a, it's a friend of mine who killed herself.
0: Ah. So story is different than what I've read. So tell me, what, what was that? Was that during that time period, like 97,
1: 99? Yeah. I've, yeah, I was about 15 and a half when okay. it happened. And it was a, a friend of mine that I grew up with uh, going to church, actually, because I went to church when I was a kid. Okay. Um, I, I grew up in a really religious household where- Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It was a pretty, it was God's way or the highway. All right, yeah. And uh, we read the Bible every night and went to church on Sundays and Saturdays and Wednesdays and Fridays. Whoa, and... okay. <laughs> so much for TV night, yeah. Yeah. Uh, TV night, no, there wasn't TV night. There was Bible night every night. So um, it was a friend of mine who I grew up with in the church who we were friends with when we were little kids. Wow, the story's mm. very different. Okay, go on. From probably about the time I was seven to, to I was 15 she moved away. Okay. She moved to North Carolina to be with her her dad, her real dad cuz her she was living with her mom. Hmm. <clears throat> and uh about a month into her leaving. I mean, we were like pretty pretty good friends. Right, right. You know. I mean, she wasn't my girlfriend or anything like that. Right. But right. it was she was one of my good friends and then she killed herself about a month into living there. Wow. Yep. <laughs> What can he do? Get a tattoo, write a song, move on.
0: Well, the uh, the uh, your friend from Bayside. Yeah. Did you have a tattoo on your I do. left bicep?
1: Yeah. I mean, that's really all you can do to honor the dead, you know? we can, I'm not going to... For me, being sober, I have to deal with stuff head on. You know, I have no cushion or pad or I can't, you know, flush the feeling away with the 40-ounce of old English. You know, I have to just deal with it. Right. And if I don't deal with it in a way that, I guess, is suiting or fitting for my well-being, I'm going to get loaded. And, uh, you know, for me, I guess, getting a tattoo is, uh, it's pretty, like, for me, it's its a really powerful thing to honor the memory of that person. And... uh it's the
0: best thing you could do because you never forget.
1: Never forget.
0: You know, um, that that last period right before Aiden and you uh, you joined. What was I? Th- was Aiden actually called Aiden first? Was yes. It all right, was all right, so yeah. it was Aiden from the beginning? So right before you joined, there. So the, the the other big rumor story uh, that I want to believe has been quoted to you, but I don't believe it has was the uh, the New Year's Eve thing. Yeah. Was that true?
1: That is true. Actually, um, that's uh, you know I, you you read about that stuff online. You're like, wow, fucking, this sounds so stupid. <laughs>
0: well, I mean, you know, I think that the point is is that it, it everything makes you who you are today. Yeah. And sometimes you have to go through a lot of struggles in order to become very strong. And and so it is what it is. Yeah. It's it's what happened. It's happened. And and.
1: I mean, my you know, my my plan for for living and dying was I, I I didn't plan on living past eighteen.
0: All right, so I was just gonna ask that, like, was there an age? Yeah, you know,
1: when I, I was like, I'm done. I was, yeah, when I was sixteen and seventeen years old, and I was living on the streets and stealing cars and and uh, you know doing crime to support my drug addict habits, uh, I didn't picture life past eighteen, and I really didn't care. You know, I, I had right. no. I had no qualms about, you know, walking into a place with a gun and, and robbing a drug dealer or stealing a car and driving it into a storefront.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, I
1: just had no, I just didn't care about anything. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, something that seemed interesting and, you know, at the time, I was in my delusional thinking, a fun way to die, quote unquote, I guess. Mm-hmm would be to to go downtown and, and just shoot up a bunch of people and then just shoot myself because misery loves company. And uh, if I'm going to go, I might as well bring some people with me.
4: How
0: far did you actually get, though? I mean, there's one thing that said that you actually had the gun.
1: Well, I carried lots of guns when oh, I was you a did. kid. Yeah. I mean that that wasn't a problem. It was, getting guns wasn't wasn't a big deal. It's the lifestyle that I led and the people that I was with. Okay, it was, okay, was fairly simple to obtain a gun. So
0: did you ever get to that point where you were actually walking around on the street on New Year's Eve, or was it kind of like you just thought about it and then? No, I
1: got I got arrested in September. Okay, all right. Okay. You know, I I had been you know I was in and out of jail this whole time, in and out of treatment centers. <clears throat> how for many
0: times? How many time- Just again to clarify the facts. All right. How many times did you think you really got? You were in jail. Uh,
1: arrested. Arrested. Over thirty.
0: All right. So that is okay. So all right. Yeah.
1: I mean, if you if you if you ask Kevin Lyman, uh-huh. ask him who had the biggest rap sheet on a 2006 Vans Warped Tour, because they have to do that to get into Canada, and he'll tell you Will from Aiden.
0: There's some yeah something like it was in the AP story from last fall. Yeah. It was in Every Time I Die, where it said you barely get into Canada.
1: Yeah. And and, and and actually, the last time I went, they told me that I can't come back till 2010. So that's why I haven't been to Canada. That's why Aiden hasn't been there in a long time. Is there, like, a statute of limitations on there, like, where after so many years,
0: they consider that you're fine with no...
1: <clears throat> I don't know what the deal I mean, is. I think
0: it'd be 10 years or 5 years or something like that. You yeah, you'd,
1: that? you'd think. It, but it... Okay, yeah, I think it's about 10 years, because the last last charge that I got on my record was in 2000. Okay and it's something that happened when i was well, then still being loaded yeah
0: 2010 yeah yes yeah.
1: wow you just think that you know like every time i go to canada i explain to them look this is what i've done and i used to I was bad when I was a kid. Yeah, And yeah. I've been sober now for years and years. Yeah. And this is what I do. I try to play in this punk band, and we're going to go and play some shows. Wow. And usually, the dude at the, the counter is pretty cool, and they right. just make me pay the 200 bucks. They figure you're an American, you're okay. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but the last time I went, man, the guy just... I guess it really just depends on who you get at the border. It's like dealing with the post office or anybody, you yeah, know,
0: customs people. You know? <laughs> exactly. Like, you know, I just came back from Mexico and 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 my friend told me he's like, oh no no, they're really tough getting back into the U.S. and and the guy literally he just he saw me and he knew I was coming in the, from the American citizen line and he just let me go. He just he didn't even look. He just go. He just kept waving me by and I'm like, okay, yeah, <laughs>
1: gee, I'm glad I'm an American. Yeah, but then you know the next time you go is someone's going to stick their finger up your butt. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I hope they have a flower um, <laughs> yeah. so uh so we we take two music breaks here and um uh and uh so why don't you give me two artists and a song by each uh, from give me those two those two artists that uh when you were just starting to get into bands playing into bands that were like th- those were the songs man, like these were your two songs
1: uh Well I'll probably give you uh, The first one would be Nirvana And uh, when I first got that album I remember Drain You was my favorite song off it
0: Ah okay
1: And then uh, Probably uh, The Red Hot Chili Peppers Off Blood Sugar Sex Magic Best record (laughs) Best record Yeah, Even though they've done some great ones since Not as good (laughs) Sorry guys Uh, Breaking the Girl it's one of my favorite songs.
2: One baby to another says I'm lucky to meet you.
0: AP Podcast is sponsored by Epitaph Records, the home to new releases from Not Without a Fight, the new record from one of the most successful pop-punk bands of all time, New Found Glory. Their Epitaph Records debut comes out March 10th, followed by a full-length U.S. tour kicking off in Tempe, Arizona on March 25th. And Bring Me the Horizon, the UK invades the US this spring as the band co-headlines with Thursday on this year's Taste of Chaos Tour. Their latest release, Suicide Season, out now and available in-store, online, everywhere. For more information on these and other Epitaph new releases, Sign on to epitaph.com. The story about Aiden is that when it was formed, two guys were still in high school, Mm -hmm. and that you weren't the original lead singer, you Mm -hmm. were playing guitar. Bass. Bass, that's right, because that was part of my question. And then you went over to singing and guitar once the lead singer quit.
1: Yeah. Why'd he quit? <clears throat> he quit to focus on school, and...
0: Oh, well, that's I, lame.
1: Sure. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when when we started the band, it was... Uh, Jake, our drummer, Angel, our guitar player, uh, Jake W., our other guitar player. Okay. The, the one that just currently left. Okay. And then this guy, Scott. And I came in to play bass, because they knew that the band Youth at Risk that I was in broke up. And then I was available, and so when I when I joined the band, they didn't really. I mean, these kids were young. Jake and Angel were so young. I mean, they were they were they were in like eleventh grade or tenth grade or something, and uh, they weren't very, they weren't good at all. And they they had a couple of songs that didn't really rock. Mm. And I remember joining up, you know, coming down there to jam with them. And thinking like, wow, this is a like the band sucks, but the environment is really cool. Everybody was really nice, and they were just down to jam and mm. just have a good time. And they weren't, you know, jaded musicians who had been playing and trying to be in bands. What's
0: this new music all about? Yeah, right? they,
1: they were just into it. And uh, so I started bringing these songs that I had from my old band that just never worked, and they they liked them. And so, once the singer quit, I mean, he quit early, early on, before we even played a show. So it was pretty easy to. I do. thought you
0: guys recorded a demo. Uh, we did. So was that with the original lead singer still on it? Yeah. Okay. And
1: okay. that was just like a, you know, you computer. still have that somewhere. I don't. I mean, I don't have it on my iTunes or anything, but I know it. I know it exists. I have mm. it somewhere. Hmm. It's pretty bad. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you it's know, really bad. And so, so you got the you got the demo. You guys started playing out. You guys what did a couple shows, and then what is the story like? Um, because you know, the, I think the story kind of goes. And then they got you know, then there was they got signed to Victory, but there wasn't. There was like dead teenager records, <clears throat> yeah. And then there was another one I've never heard of before, Unfun Records.
1: Yeah. Well, okay. The story. So
0: give me the give me the background on this. Like, how did this band start to develop and get involved with those local?
1: I imagine they were <laughs> local other yeah. companies, yeah. yeah. Uh, we started playing shows as a, we started playing shows as a four piece, and we had a demo that we had made, just a crappy demo on our computer that uh, we just burned a bunch of copies of, and um, we started playing shows, and we started playing with other bands, we started meeting other bands, and and short probably it was probably six months, maybe. Yeah, about, started the band in May, and about December, we started recording, we recorded our gang Dark Oath, so uh, Nick joined right around that time, because we would play shows with this other band called Bent Cactus, hmm. and, I would, and I would get Nick to come up and play the bass on the last song that we had, called World by Storm, just so I didn't have to play it, I could just sing, and it was, uh it kind of just worked. And we just asked him to join the band and he did. So we were playing shows and we had this demo and and people were kind of responding to it. You know, coming Mm -hmm. out to the shows and there was kids that we didn't know that were coming to the shows, like singing the songs, you know. this was like 2001?
0: 2003. 2003,
1: all right, right, okay. So it's very, you know, as soon as we started going out and playing shows and giving out CDs, we were like started getting a response, we burned, we sat and burned probably a thousand CDs and made little covers for them and kind of did the whole thing. And uh, people started showing up to the shows, and so in December, uh, we're like, you know, we have t- ten songs, why don't we just make a record? You know, we might as well just make a record, screw it. So we went in and I sold my car and we gathered up all the money that we could, you know, and it cost like six grand to make the record. Literally, that's it. We went in for eight days, recorded it, done. Six grand. And uh, found uh, this this guy that I knew, Ben, had this label called Dead Teenager Records that put out, you know, some local stuff, Camaro Smith and like Zeke and stuff like that. And uh, I knew him from... Uh, tour, be, being friends with this band Zeke from Seattle that used to be on Epitaph.
0: Okay. <clears throat> oh yeah, I barely remember that.
1: Yeah, they're like that fast, super fast punk band. Yeah, yeah. Tour okay. with Motorhead and stuff.
0: Okay, okay.
1: Uh, so he, I asked him. I was like, Hey, you know, I, I got this band. Do you, you want to put out this record? And he said, Sure. And he put it out. We, you know, we paid for the recording, and he paid to print it up, and it came out a few months later, in like. June. Yeah, it came out like six months later, I remember. I was like, why is it taking so long to come out? <laughs> right. <laughs> it took like six months. So finally, it came, you know, we got the CDs and we started playing shows. And then one of the first shows we played, one of the first big shows we played as as the band was supporting Death by Stereo and Himsa and Bleeding Through. And it was a it was a, just a local Seattle show. Where was that? At this place called El Corazon.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah.
1: Okay. <clears throat> and so, um, there was people there singing the words to our songs, and we sold like a hundred CDs that night. And so, at that point, I I thought to myself, you know, I might, you know, I might kind of have some. I I might be able to get signed to a real label, possibly, you know. And and at the time, I was going to shows. Every you know every band that came through Seattle, I I went to the shows just because I that's what I did, I just went to shows all the time and I was giving the CD to bands that came through like telling them, you know hey, this is who I am and Silverstein actually <clears throat> they came through, I think July of that year and had a sign up over their merch table that said we need a place to stay and so I invited them to my house and gave them a place to stay and I gave them the CD and they got to my house and they were listening to the CD in the car and they are like, man, this rocks and, uh, and they were honest they were, yeah, they were, they were into it and so they, they I totally kept in touch with them and uh the next time they came through Seattle they let us open the show and it was aw- it was totally awesome. And they told Victory, you know, like, hey, there's a band in Seattle that's you know, doing some stuff. And uh, you know, at the time I was sending the C D to Victory and I was sending the C D to Epitaph and Fearless and, and all the every single independent label there was, you know. Every every fucking independent label that worked is it. yeah. I, mean, I had my copy of Maximum Rock and Roll, you know, book your own fucking life. Every address yeah. of all the independent labels sent that shit <clears throat> over and over. I sent Victory probably 10 fucking CDs. Wow. And ne- they never got listened to. Listen to. Or same with Epitaph, too. I sent them about 10 CDs. Um. So we just kept playing shows and we got a, we got a, we won this spot on, on Warp Tour that year. And I, I can remember playing. Playing, uh, playing the playing the warp tour and I don't know if you've ever been to Seattle or to the yeah. gorge yeah yeah it's beautiful, beautiful beautiful yeah and there's a campground there mm-hmm. where the where you know fuck, I've been going to warp tour since like 1996 98 and uh it's it's been out at the gorge for the past probably almost 10 years mm-hmm. <clears throat> but we shut we did the show and then we we brought our pa and and our generator and we were passing out flyers saying we're playing at the campground at midnight come and we were at the campground we set up and there was probably three or four hundred kids drunk (laughs) and rowdy and uh, we played in about three songs in this carry just shut us down like nope no more and at that point i realized like yeah this is this is what i want to do you know i think that i could probably do something and uh we just kept playing shows throughout the year this is many, you know. In the summertime, we this we did.
0: before Victory signed you. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, so, go, so the first record our, our our gang's Dark Oath was already out. Yeah. Obviously, was out. Just so I can clear up my little fact, but where the hell does Unfun Records fall into this? Uh, I'll
1: get to that. Oh, okay. All right. I'll yeah, that's up. that's coming. First um. Up. So the guys went back to school in September. And we would just play shows on the weekends. And okay. if they had a little break or a day off, we'd, I'd book a little mini tour around the, the region. And finally in December, we were going we to do a tour on their Christmas break. Because it was the only break. And I'm like, let's tour. Let's go. Come right, on. Let's on do interview. this.
0: Because you live on. I mean, you, you really do live. Anything I've read, anytime I've seen you on YouTube, talking to an interview, with it, the road keeps you alive.
1: Yeah, it really does. I mean, I wish I didn't have to tour as much as I do, just because it is exhausting and yeah, yeah. But I you know, it's the only way I can eat and so su- survive. <laughs> 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 uh,
0: yeah, literally, right? Yeah, literally. So, sorry to interrupt, but you
1: were. Uh, so we, you know, I kept you on playing. booked a Christmas tour. Yeah, yeah, we booked a Christmas tour, and at the at the beginning of the month. Or we 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 decided that we were gonna do this split EP with our friends, this band Stalin's War. Mm. We're like, you know what? If we, we record a couple songs and we put in some bucks, we could put out a you know put out a CD together and do this tour. <clears throat> and so we did that. And then in the beginning of December, I wrote. I was I was like fed up. I was like, fuck this. I'm writing these guys. So I wrote to Victory and I wrote to Epitaph. Uh, so I wrote these guys. I just guessed their just wrote these guys and said, look. I'm in this band. My name is Will. i play in this band, Aiden. We've done these tours. We put out this record. We're doing this EP. We're gonna go on tour, and that's all there's to it. And you're gonna either sign us or you're not. But either way, we're gonna do it. Talk to you soon. Something like you know, something of right. like that nature. And I sent both the you know the emails off at the same time, and and uh, Tony emailed me back like within an hour. I remember I fell asleep. I like took a nap, and I woke up. And I had an email in my inbox. Are you ready to make this band your full-time job? And I was like, "Fuck yes!" Right. Capital letters. Are you ready
0: to sell your soul to you know the <laughs> yeah. devil of rock and roll? Right. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, at the time, and not Tony. I mean, no, rock to and the roll. devil of rock, rock and, roll. and roll. right. Yes, I am fucking ready. <laughs> uh, at the time when we signed this label, I mean, Victory Records was, they, you know. Taking Back Sunday, Atreyu, Thursday, Thursday Silverstein Bayside, like these are all bands that I really enjoyed, and at the time they were just kind of just blowing up, and it was the label that I really wanted to sign to because every single band on that label, when you go to their website, was on tour. Right, every fucking band, and that's what I wanted to do is go on tour. And so he 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 fucking flew us out to Chicago. We played this really awkward showcase. For maybe 10 people. Why was it awkward? Because fucking there was 10 label people that stood there with their jackets on <laughs> while we played three songs. Yeah, it's
0: like performing for a room full of insurance guys. Yeah, yeah so, it was right? ridiculous. Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: But uh, And they, they don't clap.
1: No. <laughs> no, they clapped. They did clap? Too. Yeah, they would clap. Uh, I just remember it being like one of the most awkward things I've ever had to do in my life. Probably more awkward than I, I can imagine. It was probably more awkward than filming a porno or something. You know, <laughs> I can't, even, I can't <laughs> imagine filming a porno would be that awkward. <laughs> That's how fucking awkward it was.
0: Unless you're getting paid a lot of money, which I'm sure that night you weren't. Yeah. All right. So, um, so, you, so you you did the awkward audition, mm-hmm. and I mean, obviously Tony's like pumped pumped but you don't have a lawyer no and you don't have and yeah you don't have an entertainment lawyer you don't know anything
1: so how you get a contract sent in front of you yeah we hired this entertainment lawyer that's from seattle kind of just wanted a paycheck i guess yeah yeah whatever yeah and so you, you you did the contract signed the deal went on tour and, and and actually, I totally fucking lied to him, too. I was like, you know, I have 10 new songs for the new record when I really only had one. <laughs> and, you know, he wanted to, to get us in the studio right away to to record a new record. And I'm like, oh, yeah, we got totally fucking, I totally got all the songs ready to go. Let's do this. <laughs> what a fucker. So, Unfun Records? Unfun Records was the, la- the label that put out the Stalin's War Aiden split EP that December. Ah. Solved. Done.
0: <laughs> it was the whole setup.
1: And it wasn't a... D- yeah, that, that was a long setup for that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then they died. And then they died. And then they died. Then they died. Um, so, you, you go on road with one song, and you say you have ten... And this was this would have been for Nightmare Anatomy. Yeah, the first real official Victory Records mm-hmm. fall of two thousand five. So your first tour of the country, <clears throat> you, I mean, what was that first? Was it partially? Was it a full tour? What was it? Who did you did he who did he put you on with?
1: Or when after we signed Victory? Uh I see. We signed in December four. So in um the the guys went back to school in January, and I think this was their senior year at this point <clears> oh <throat> five we We made the record in the beginning of the year, like February or March. I can't remember what month it was uh yeah, yeah, it was like March, and then the first tour we did was with Silverstein actually in the u k Wow, and it was in May it was supporting it was opening for Silverstein and the Black Maria. Oh wow. Which is Kyle from Grades. Yeah. Old new band. <laughs> <laughs> um So yeah, that was the first tour and those guys were still in school and they had to get permission from school to be able to leave cuz it was during, you know, it was like during school. It was like 10 days of this European tour while they were in school. And the teachers were all fired up and they're like, "Yeah, go do it." Right. You know, cuz at this point they're like in a band that's signed and they're still like going to high school, right? You know,
0: it's to, there's and there's some you know celebrity to that.
1: I don't. I, I mean, I I don't know if there was. I mean, or being not. in
0: high school and you're signed to a label, that's pretty cool. Yeah, going on the road. Yeah, it's pretty cool.
1: I don't know because I didn't go to the school. So <laughs> well, right? You know, I know that. Uh, I know that Angel was super geeky in school. <laughs> And now he's just like this, he's this really cool, chill guy, whereas in school he was like this really shy, nerdy, you know, kid. It's really strange. The
0: road brings it out of you. Yeah.
1: I mean, so, I've, I've literally watched this kid, these kids grow up, you know, being on tour, which is, it's cool for them, you know, they, they, they got out of high school and went on tour, you know, they didn't have to go and grind away at some shit job. You were I mean, a machinist in it. The- Navy
0: yard At one point A shipyard Just I mean I just It's You say
1: You claimed that It was like one of the worst jobs you ever had Worst Absolutely the worst Most soulless Like What's You ever seen the movie October Sky Yeah Where those dudes are walking into the mines And they're Mm -hmm. just dirty And they just look like The routine Death They just look like zombies going to Whatever zombies do You know like that kind of, that's the kind of deal it was. You show up at seven o'clock, you walk around all day, you do, you know, tinker with the motor in the, the big ship, the war boats, you know, the ferries. Ugh. It's <laughs> when so was that? De- so depressing. thing. That was, that was after I got sober. Oh, all right. I, I was planning Youth at Risk when I was working there.
0: Oh, okay. All yeah. right. Okay. How long were you doing that for?
1: I only did it for about six months. I couldn't, and I couldn't handle it anymore. I mean, literally, it's the kind of job, it's the kind of job where you get as a kid, you know, and you, you turn 18 or, you, you know, your dad gets you into it and then you just stay there your whole life. And that's, right. it's like dudes who have been there for 20, 30, 40 fucking years. Give me a break. No fucking way. Out of did you ever do any retail jobs? Uh, yeah. Restaurant nothing no well i worked in, in a restaurant but not as like a server okay but i did uh, sell cell phones did you really in a mall yeah which where
0: what what company where you s-
1: uh, singular wireless singular wireless really i didn't know that yeah what mall on uh, uh, northgate mall in seattle northgate north mall is it still there yeah that that store <clears throat> yeah i think it's a like an at&t now cuz they there's no singular anymore i would think that would be death selling it's s- pff- you know, for, I, for me, I'm, I'm when I got, after I got sober, I, I I got a couple of sales jobs. They were actually pretty interesting. One of them was Time Life. Sounds of the '70s, like telemarketing, <laughs> <laughs> which was pretty interesting. You know, to call people up and say, "Hey, what did you think of that?" Sounds of the '70s. I want to say you sounds of the fucking '80s now. To listen to Duran Duran and Inexcess and shit.
0: Well, at least you knew the generation, right?
1: You know. uh, and then after that, I worked this job. <laughs> How many
0: hangups did you get?
1: A lot, <laughs> <laughs> a lot. After that, I worked this weird. Really, okay. This is the this is the funniest thing. Have, have you ever um, have you ever seen Boiler Room? Yeah. I worked this job. Uh, it was at a, a financial company. It was
0: uh, <laughs> what <With> the connection. <laughs> it was an
1: it was an aftermarket warranty company. It was called Warranty USA. Okay. <laughs> and basically, what we did was the company sent out these cards that had the people's VIN number on it of their vehicle and it said, call us right away about your vehicle. Your warranty is expiring. Yeah, yeah. It's like yeah. this red card. People call, it, like, what's wrong with my car? <laughs> and you're like, and you got to go through this whole thing and you got to sell them this aftermarket warranty that costs like a $1,000. That after I was working there for about six months, come to find out that was. Basically worthless. Like I sold fake warranties. The company never paid out any claims. The FBI came in, busted in the door, <laughs> seized all the computers, the desks, everything. It was exactly like boiler room. It was crazy. And I made so much money at that job.
0: You got a commission? Oh, yeah. Essentially <laughs> on, on worthless warranties.
1: I made more money at that job than I've, in six months than I ever had at any other job balling. <laughs> Including being a musician? Including being a Well, musician. yeah. <laughs> oh, yep.
0: Wait, we shouldn't talk about that. I'll send you to Lansing, Michigan depressed.
1: Oh you man. We're calling
0: up the, uh, trying to call back to the, to the, see if that guy's uh, still running a different company or something like that in the same oh, line. Oh my goodness. Uh, I, if there's ever a tape of you selling time life sounds of the eighties <laughs> out there, I want that tape. I will pay for that tape.
4: <laughs> I wish there was, man.
0: <laughs> um, so, uh, so when when the when you when you did come to oh, I know I' ask you quickly, England's a tough market to play. I don't know too many bands that that the first time in England is from America, especially with at that time with the kind of music that they were playing, had an easy time. It was it's a tough market. It's like playing New York. Um, yeah. it, it, that was your first like <laughs> first few days. Did you learn anything right off the bat where you're like, okay, I gotta adjust this?"
1: Um, I no, I mean, at that time we were, we were pretty, se- I guess, seasoned in the way of shows, you know, like okay. we were about it and we were ready to just rock faces. And so we just came to that tour opening, you know, going, we just got to kill everybody. Mm-hmm. Screw this. We just got to just kill people. Mm. And so right from the get go. And, and it was really strange because there was kids showing up to the shows who were there to see us and they were singing our songs. Which was totally bizarre because we'd never been there. We don't have a record out, but it was like the bop, power of the internet, pure volume in MySpace. And kids were listening to the to the songs on the internet, and uh, it was really bizarre.
0: So, the uh, Nightmare of Anime, you 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 did get it together, and as from anybody's you know who's a fan of yours you find different things to inspire you with each record it seems. Yeah. So what was the inspiration for that? Was that kind of like when you started discovering <clears throat> The Joy Divisions and and that or was it something else that kind of
1: No, I mean I had already been a big fan of Joy Division at that point. I mean, most of the bands that I'm into I got into when I was in my in my teen in my teenage okay. years that I you know just still listen to. Mhm. Um Nightmare Anatomy was just kind of just a reflection of you know my favorite my favorite kind of movies I guess horror movies
0: okay all and,
1: right uh, same with Rain in Hell you know mm-hmm. um, I guess the change that we that we underwent on this on this latest record was just me being sick of being compared to fucking AFI and My Chemical Romance. You know, as great as those bands are, I mean, uh, they're they're great bands. Like I, I don't wear makeup because Davey Havoc wears makeup. You know, I wear makeup because Dave Vinian wore makeup, because Glenn Danzig wore makeup. You know, it's not because Gerard put on some white face paint.
0: So guilty by association. Exactly. So and generational I, association.
1: Exactly, and it and it's it, and it's not anything that I'm that I'm bummed out about. I mean, I. I really respect those artists and I really enjoy, you know, some of their records are really fucking amazing, you know, but for me, like I want to, I want to be my, I want to be my own person. And I don't want to be defined by what I look like or, you know, who I fuck or, or any of that shit. So I mean, Nightmare Anatomy was just, I guess I was just pissed and I was really, really into horror movies I'm really into horror movies, and if I could just keep on making records that are just all about blood and guts, I would. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, there's bands that
0: keep doing. I mean, you know, they, they keep with that kind of same kind of. They stick with a. They stick with a a, 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 a symbolism of, uh, you know of uh, an appearance. So they stick with a uh, an atmosphere about their music, regardless yeah. of how old they get. You know, look at the Cramps. Yeah, you know same kind of thing. So, you know, I was kind of thinking about it when um when was your first full Warp Tour? 06. 06. So, that was same year Rain in Hell came out the EP. Mm-hmm. Um and um uh it, you you know, the um it gets spoken about on Warp Tour uh, as well as by other musicians and written up about that, you know, you, you you guys are, you are generally known to be some of the nicest guys <laughs> on, on the tour. Um, and I've really never heard anything negative, like mean-spirited about you as a person either from other musicians, um, which is nice. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, because of the fact that you guys were maybe taking out uh, some of the portions of, from first to last and that, that you guys were essentially like the band that got got into it more or less, you know, some people would say a costume. You guys got into character. Yeah, more like it before you go out, and so the the gutter punks and stuff wouldn't take to that, right? And so you would think that Warped Tour would be is the tour of rejects if we were in high school, and you have the table of rejects. But then there's also the rejected
2: from yeah. the
0: rejects, and so did that. You know, I th- you know you ca- I hear it in interviews with you. You're like, you like that hurt?
1: Totally. I mean, I I got into music because it makes me. It makes me feel connected, you know. I started going to punk shows because, like, wow! Well, all of a sudden, I'm in a room with 500 kids who look and feel exactly the way I feel, and this is amazing. And I can't believe that I that I'm actually a part of this, and I don't even have to do anything. I just have to show up, right? You know, and <clears throat> that's the most amazing thing about music that is that you don't have to be a certain color or listen to. You know, a certain kind of music, or go to a certain kind of church, or be whatever. You know, you could have mm-hmm. tits and a penis. All right. It, music isn't discriminative. discriminatory.
3: What's that fucking word? Discriminative. Discriminative. I think that's the word. I don't even. Fucking if Scott know. was here, he'd correct
0: us. His mom's an English teacher.
1: All right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it, you know, it just music just doesn't discriminate against anyone, and so I guess yeah. I mean if. Being coming into a a, a, a thing like Warp Tour, which is really felt like school.
0: Wow. I never heard it described that way.
1: It it felt a little like school where there was cliques and there was, you know, the popular kids and there was the, you know, weirdo kids and there was the kids that just didn't hang out with anyone else. You know, it, it kind of felt like this really weird version of summer camp. Slash school. <clears throat> but, uh, I mean, fuck. I don't even know what I'm trying to say. I'm not... I know that I'm not reinventing the wheel of music. And I'm not original. You know, I'm not the most original person on the planet. And I know that there's a there's hundred people who've who put on eyeshadow, and, you know, before me. Who were born way before me. You know, Lou Reed was putting on eyeshadow in the fucking... 70s and 80s. But, uh. Someone has to continue to carry the torch, no? Yeah.
0: So, what's the matter with that? I don't
1: know. I don't know. I just, you know, I guess. Every generation people are has fucking its, dicks. Ah, everything. It... Yeah. I mean, people are just fucking dicks, man. They just want to fucking. They just want to be fucking bitches and assholes. <laughs> Fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: um.
1: I met some of my best fucking friends on Warped Tour, though. I really did.
0: Who would you consider, like, your best friends now? Uh, like, 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 you want to tell the fans of Warped Tour right now, all those, all those hundreds of thousands of, of, you know, fans that come to the shows, and you want to tell them right now who are the coolest people out there that maybe they don't know about.
1: No effects. First off, one of the best, one of, one of my favorite bands growing up, and one of the coolest bands I've ever met And still have a friendship with today Thursday Rise Against The most amazing dudes ever uh, The Bouncing Souls mm. Gym Class Heroes The Academy Is Every Time I Die mm. Which is funny Those dudes were We shared a stage with those guys on worked Tour And they're all fucking Aiden <laughs> Fuck these guys But then we start, you know, they're like, "They're really nice." Shit, (laughs) (laughs) goes back to that again because they thought we were gonna be total fucking pricks or something. Right, right, prima donnas. Yeah, I don't know, I don't know what about. Like, do I just look like I'm a fucking asshole in a picture or something? I guess it's the idea that if you dress up, (laughs) so to speak, and you put
0: on makeup, then thus you're pretentious. You think so? You're doing the English, you know, you're doing that kind of whole nose in the air kind of thing, like, oh, you know.
1: I just, like I just they're like kind of to... like waiting for you to start talking in a British accent, <laughs> <laughs> even though you're from Seattle, you know? I, I just like fucking dressing up. I like becoming a character. I like, I like, I like drama. So does Robert Smith. What's the matter with that? Nobody exactly. him. Fucking exactly. That's what I told someone the other day. No one gives Robert Smith any shit for putting on fucking lipstick and eyeliner. We need to put on a lot of weight. I don't know. I don't know. I just need to keep on putting out records and showing people that I just don't give a fuck
0: now before we talk about this latest half of the most recent stuff let's take another uh break here um uh right before we were going to talk about conviction actually um so give me the two songs from um Actually, let's do three, because I, I want to be fair about this with, for William Control, because I do want people to hear William Control, because I love William Control, and you know that. Um, Thank you. Uh, because it's, it takes me back to when I was starting AP. <laughs> yeah. um, so, uh, <clears throat> but uh, give me two songs by Aiden that would do you think one would best represent early Aiden, and say, like, hey, that's what we sounded like that, and then maybe something maybe off of Conviction, or maybe Rain Hill, um, where you're like, and that best represents where Aiden is right now. And then give me the song on William Control that means the most to you and okay. why. So we'll start with the Aiden stuff first.
1: All right. So the, the early stuff, probably Bridgeries and Shore Faith mm-hmm. off our, our Gangster Goth record. Yep. Which I, I have to insist to our listeners they got to download
0: for pay. That record. If you don't want to do the DRM thing, get on Amazon. It's right there. That's what I did.
1: Yeah. Uh, it sounds like shit, but the songs are pretty cool.
0: <laughs> it's, it's interesting to, you know, to hear it. It really is interesting to hear it and, and hear the beginnings.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, when I, when I, start, when I started singing in this band, like I, I'm not a classical singer, and I, I've never had any training. Mm. And, you could, and you could really tell, you know, that I've been on the road since that we put out that record mm-hmm. by the way I sing now. You know, just getting better. I, I don't know if it's getting better, but learning how to use my voice better. Mm. Um, and the song, probably, uh, probably the one on conviction. I would, I would say, is uh, uh, "Hurt Me," hmm. which is one of my favorite songs on that record.
0: Why that's? I mean, why is that?
1: Uh. All right I just think it's really beautiful. Oh, okay. And then
0: and William Control, the one that means the most to you.:
1: The one that means the most to me Uh London Town, which is weird. I, I shouldn't even say that because that's like the acoustic song, which I don't even know why I fuck put that on that album. Uh Why is that the oddball? I don't know. I I had this acoustic song and I was like, man, I fucking love this song. Where did you where were you when you wrote it? Cuz you wrote this record mostly in London, right? Yeah. I wrote it in London. Where did you write that song? Maybe that's why it <laughs> means something because you were that day you wrote that song you were someplace I wrote it in uh, the St. Giles Hotel, which is opposite the Tottenham Court Road tube Tube, tube station, mate.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you, you've been working on that English accent. Yeah. I'll wait for it. It's going to come out yet.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, I wrote that in that hotel waiting for something. I don't know. Room service. Yeah, probably room service. <laughs> or some dominatrix to come fucking whip me. <laughs>
0: Which in a way is room service. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, um, I would. I would probably. I guess. I mean that song means. I mean the whole fucking record means a lot to me. It's all. It's all for me. I feel like it's all one big song. Yeah. Yeah. You know where it's it's just kind of a story from beginning to end about a, a night you know that happens.
0: I do need to say that the reason why I was saying you gotta listen to our gang's uh, Dark Earth is because of the fact, that, and especially look at the videos, the videos from that period, just to Nightmare Anatomy, because then all of a sudden the makeup comes out, yep, for Nightmare Anatomy, and there's just a there's a visual. I mean, otherwise you're looking at it and you're going, this is just any other band from visuals, You turn down the music, and you and it's like this is just any other band that's coming out of jersey at that point you know you guys are just you look you have the look you know but then all of a sudden i'm anatomy and and it's like all of a sudden hello whole change was that something you guys audit like was there a night in the band like you guys were sitting in a restaurant or something like okay guys (laughs) you know we need to now reinvent ourselves again i guess well this would have been the first time second time first time yeah was that was it kind of like that thought out like we no it was not not in a bad way I'm just saying
1: yeah no there wasn't a certain night it was just kind Tyson of in
0: Family Force Five so you have to a lot of bands forget they have to entertain <laughs>
1: <laughs> no I mean it was kind of just a gradual thing like this just started just started happening
0: were, was were you the ringleader were you the one that came into practice one day or like the night of a show and you're like you yeah had the eyeliner on you and the guys looked at you and like what are you doing.
1: No, I mean, I, I started. I started wearing eyeliner probably the f- like one of the first shows we ever did, mm. which is something I started really, doing really early on. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think the reason why I'm not wearing any makeup in that that video that I sent my friends on fire video is because. <laughs> well, it
0: was kind of grainy, and it's so you could have been, but you didn't have the shadow on it. No, I just that.
1: probably just had a little bit of eyeliner. Okay. On. Okay. Uh, and plus we did that video at like three in the morning after a show. Okay. (laughs) And we spent $200 and two pairs of shoes to make that video. Two pairs of shoes. (laughs) What was this? A barter? Yeah. And a, and a, and a cart. Exactly. Yeah. I'll give
0: you a feather. (laughs) My mule. My best mule. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, so, but really, I mean, do you remember like, was it really, was it coordinated or was it just something you guys just started
1: doing? Yeah. It just started happening, you know? I wanted to I wanted to go like fully blood and but then I was like, well, we're not guar <laughs> <laughs> which is well, fuck they're fucking awesome. I wish I right. could do that, you know?
0: Right, right. Well maybe there's something in the future there. Yeah. It could be the next the next the thing.
1: The next reincarnation.
0: So with conviction, again, it, it kinda it's 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 said that um well I mean you said in the AP story, uh that uh every time I die issue, uh funny enough, the uh um that you actually, not a lot of musicians will do this because the, they they don't take risks. And you 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 said a you said a great quote, which I don't think a lot of musicians have the guts to say publicly. They say, "I can't write a record to please our fans. I can only write music that I'm in love with." It's really hard to kind of, you know, turn to your fans and say, "I know what you want. You want Nightmare Anatomy too." Yeah, but you ain't gonna get it. So you actually, you know, you say that you actually dumped anything that was inspirations from ten years. You went back twenty years. Yeah. Plus to a certain extent. so you were going back to your mom's record collection with Fleetwood Mac. Yep. You know, you the were Beatles. Beatles. You were pulling out uh you were even going back to uh Benny Goodman stuff. Yeah. Which I don't really hear the Benny Goodman <laughs> yeah. in, 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 <laughs> <laughs> in conviction. Uh I'm a huge Benny Goodman fan, but uh but I but it's interesting that you just kinda like took the whole all the bathwater and threw it out and went, okay.
1: Yeah. I wanted to listen to music that wasn't that wouldn't inspire, you know, like I didn't want to draw any inspiration from any bands that were out today, you know, whereas, you know, you you, you meet like a band or, you know, you you have, you have see a band, they just put on a new record to like the new hot thing. Right. And then they're like, my favorite band is Under Oath. Or my favorite band is Taking Back Sunday, which, you know, there's a great bands, but. Is that it really? Like those are your favorite bands? Like it's so it's just so bizarre to me. So I I kind of would just we people say that we're influenced by whatever we hear, you know. Right. So I wanted to stop. Wanted to stop that and be and just kind of go back and have none of the new stuff. Which I don't know. I don't know. If, you know, it's it's a tough thing to to alienate our fan base and to put a record out that we knew that our, you know, most of the, most of the fans we had wouldn't like. You know, it's a, it was a tough thing. And and I don't feel like we gained new fans because any new fans that we could have gained were like, well, Aiden, I don't, I'm not even going to give them a chance because I don't like them. So, I mean, it's a tough thing and, and we totally, you know, it totally failed. You know, we sold like half of the amount of records that we did on Nightmare Anatomy.
0: You don't think, though, it's because of downloading?
1: No, I, I mean that probably has a big uh, plays a big part in it. But you know, it's like I don't really give a fuck about record sales or or any of that shit. Like I just want to I just want to write music that I am in love with. And I 'cause cuz fuck, I got to play this shit every fucking night. Like you may come to the show and want to hear a song, but I'm playing this shit 300 fucking nights a year. Mm-hmm. You know, like I have to love it to want to play it that much. And uh Fuck.
0: You. 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 Th- you, th- you th- with any discussions, of, with any discussions about another Aiden record, has there already been discussions about?
1: Yeah, I've written about thirty new songs.
0: Oh. So you reinventing again?
1: Yeah, I think it's. Uh, you know, here. Here's the thing about. Here's the thing about our music, is that I'm a. I. am uh, i a. I'm the guy who writes a big portion of it, mm-hmm. and the music directly reflects where I'm at in my life, you know, personally and in my head and, and in my heart. And when I, when I wrote Conviction, I had, you know, we'd, we'd done Nightmare Anatomy and we'd toured the world. Uh, we put out that EP that next year. We'd played with our heroes. I met some of my, my biggest heroes and become friends with them. You know, we'd to places we never thought we'd get to go to. I'd seen the world and I was also in love
2: Mm.
1: You know, and that all kind of totally reflects right in the music, and you could totally hear that. Like if you know, if you know that part of of where I was at, you, mm-hmm. you could totally fucking hear that shit, right? Because the music is, it's not, it's not poppy, you know, right. it's not like pop punk or whatever. But it's, there's definitely like happy, uplifting undertones in it,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, and I'm pissed again. You know, my life fell apart. And I'm pissed.
0: Maybe, maybe there's something there that maybe when you write happy stuff, your fans don't respond to it.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I'm fucking pissed again. And, and the songs are so mean. And the lyrics are so fucking evil and mean. <laughs> there's something about,
0: you know, in, in life, we are all like a marble being shot across a kitchen floor. And we all think that we're going to veer off to the left. And all of a sudden, we hit something, an obstruction, and we go off to the right. And to a certain extent, the relationship that you had, and the, and the, that, you know, the way that it, it ended like that, and the pain that you had out of that, I remember us talking, and, and you were, you were really bumming, you were really bumming, you had had hit probably maybe another rock bottom out of that, and you shot off to the right, and even though you already kind of had William Control in your head, in your heart, it, it seems like from what I've read, and, and, uh, and from our discussions, it's like, that kind of inspired the passion that came out in William Control.
1: No? Yeah, definitely.
0: Or was it? Was that already kind of more developed before <clears throat> the well, engagement? Kind some of, of
1: the that? songs were written uh, a, f- a few months prior to all that stuff, but most of it was written and recorded in a matter of weeks after okay. all that stuff happened. I mean, the whole record came together in about three weeks. So
0: that really was, it, it, as you said, the, the
1: the the music was the therapy. Yeah. It, that was it. I mean, it, it was a, that was a serious thing. And I, that, that's the way I, I want to feel about music. I want to feel that I'm on a life and death errand. I don't want to feel like, oh, it's my job. And it's just something that I do for fun. <laughs> I go to the shipyard. No, man. This is my fucking life. And it's, it, I'm, I'm going to fucking live it and die it. And, it, and, it, and it's got to be fucking passionate. And it has to, for me, I, I have to feel something about it. You know, because otherwise I'm just like some fucking, some dude in some fucking band playing some fucking shit that no one gives a fuck about, you know, that I just like do it for to to fuck chicks or whatever, you know, which is just ridiculous. Like music is is my savior. It's fucking, the the, it's, it's my blood. It's what has kept me through the darkest times of my life and keeps me going. Right. You know, it, it gives me something to look forward to, and it gives me memories from the past, and it's and it's always something that I'm gonna I'm gonna live with, you know, in my life always. Yeah, yeah. and and I just feel like, especially in today's society where there's so many kids, and so many bands that it's so easy to make a MySpace and get a someone to listen to it and right. get a label and buy a van and to go on tour. I mean, it's so fucking easy now. I mean, there was no bands that were at the mid level, like kind of where there's all these bands at the mid level now. There's not. Right. You know, you were either a huge band or you were fucking playing bars in your local city. Right. You know? But now there's all these bands that tour and it's. There's just so many bands and there's so many fucking people who I, you know, that I've met on tour who are just so fucking bl- numb. And they're just like. Numb. Yeah. I don't know if I maybe that's the wrong word. They're Damn. just, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> I've just met so many dudes that are like, yeah, you know, I, I worked at Best Buy and and now, uh, you know, like being in a band is just, it just seemed a little bit more interesting. <laughs> and and there's no there's no depth. I can't even relate to some of these people. And I'm like, well, what kind of shows did you go to growing up? i just I just you know, like I went to uh, Creed. Taking back Sunday last year. <laughs> I don't know last why. Year. I don't know right. why I keep mentioning them. I just fucking love that band so much. <laughs> but, yeah, I don't know. But you know, I mean? you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 totally. Like the kids there's these guys that I that I've met on the road who just are they have no ties to music at all. They just thought, like, well, yeah, it could be a little bit more interesting than working at my best buy job.
0: You know, I've always found that the best records are the ones that are the angriest. Yeah. When you walk into the studio, you walk, uh, you know, you you go and you sit on that hotel room or that apartment or that condo you rented, wherever, and you you've got the pad of paper and your pen, and you are hurting. Yeah. And you are in
1: pain, dude. I was fucking going psychotic. I was I was going through psychotic episodes making this record, and I wasn't writing lyrics. I didn't write any of the lyrics. Okay. Beforehand, I just because I, I recorded it. I had a I had a friend of mine, Kenny, who uh, came out to do help me with some of the programming. Mm-hmm. He was there for about ten days, and then when he left, I did all the vocals by myself. I remember, <clears throat> and I did, and I was I was fucking staying up for thirty six hours at a time, fucking yelling at myself, and having fucking breakdowns, taking my clothes off, like running around in the woods you naked. Have
0: a for taking your clothes off and running around, in what's the deal with that? <laughs> there's a difference between now and when you first did it. It's called YouTube. <laughs>
1: oh no. Gonna Fuck have, me. Can you Will, I think you're going to have
0: your Pete Wentz moment pretty soon. <laughs> yeah. I don't think, I don't think I
1: am. I keep that shit. I'm, I'm a really private person. That's, that's on the extended hard drive. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God.
0: So you were really, you were, cause I remember getting a text from you in the middle of the night one time when you were doing the vocals and you and as as much as you were saying you were breaking down and flipping out you said you were
1: you had never been so psyched about something yeah dude i was fucking so pumped about this record just when it started when i when i started listening to when the music was done and then i started doing the vocals and i started listening to it back mm-hmm. you know there was nobody in the studio to be like yeah is that, isn't this awesome like, are you into this you know and having someone else there like oh man this is so fucking cool Where you're in a band, you know, a studio with the the band, and everyone's like, "Oh man, this is fucking awesome." Right. You're just by yourself, you know, talking to yourself, like, "Yeah, this is cool." I know. Shit, like you know, (laughs) it's totally fucking crazy. (laughs) Um.
0: So, so, uh, I just we have to wrap this up, and I want to make sure I didn't miss any major pieces that I wanted to talk about with you, um. I'm going to run through a couple of topics real fast. No worries. Okay? Yeah. Uh, Your last vices. Cigarettes and coffee. Yeah, I forget that. There was a quote that was online from somebody, um, and they were complaining that in the pictures for William Control, you're always smoking.
1: Fuck you, (laughs) whoever that was. This was was. the
0: quote. (laughs) So, well done, Mr. Francis. In a vain attempt to look cool, you could. You could, in fact, influence your fans to start smoking. Congratulations.
1: (laughs) How about this? Fuck you. Go to hell. Thanks. And please buy the next record. Um. (laughs) (laughs) You could influence your fans into smoking. You know what? We live in the fucking world. People are going to smoke regardless.
0: I take it you're a realist now.
1: Yeah. Like... Do you think, I, I didn't start smoking because fucking, I saw somebody cool smoking. Like, I started smoking because my buddy's like, hey, you can, get, you can get a buzz if you inhale this smoke. You know, and I was like 10 years old. Like,
0: How many packs do you go through a day?
1: Uh, I smoke about 50 to 60 cigarettes a day. Yeah.
0: Damn.
1: <laughs> Damn.
0: I'm gonna start calling you Doctor Detroit. <laughs> what? Uh, and so for those fans
1: of yours that are over 21, what's your brand? Um, Marble Light 100s. You guys heard it. I saw. You know what? I saw a fucking something on something online the other day saying, "Oh, this William Control, He's got f- effects on his vocal. It's on every song. It's so boring." I don't, there's no effects on my vocals except compression to keep the levels from peaking at all. There's no octave deal. Like that's just how I sing. So fuck you, whoever said that shit. Um, it,
0: I, This, There's probably need more time to talk about this, but I did, I did notice that the, especially in the AP story, but also in a lot of the William control interviews that you've been doing um, that you feel like for the first time you've to have ditched, like you've moved on from a part of your life where you actually cared what people thought yeah. about you. Like you were very influenced by and cared about what people thought. And, and, um and now you're just like, either it's because of the frustration, the anger from everything that's been going on. And you're just like, you just hit that point where you're just like, I don't care. What is, why do I worry about all this stuff?
1: I don't know, man. I you know I read stuff about myself online about what people want to say or whatever. And it, it does bum me out. It hurts my feelings. And I, and at some point I just got to get to like, fuck it. I just don't give a fuck. I don't give a fuck about you. I don't give a fuck about what you want to say about me. Like, this is what I do. And if you don't like it, fucking don't listen to it. But either way, like, I still don't give a fuck about you. <laughs> I'm going to try and make these questions a
0: standard with an AP podcast from now because I always get really interesting stories. So I'm going to ask two final questions. We're done. Okay. Right. Um, the time on the road you almost died. Uh, on tour? Yeah. Oh. Uh, could have been Randy. I mean, it could have been a bus thing, a van thing, it could have been you got sick, you could have been somebody threw something at you from an audience.
1: Uh well there's been I mean, a couple of pretty close calls with this band. Um you know, we were we were about twenty miles in front of Bayside when their van wrecked mm-hmm. and John died. Uh driving on the same road with the same van and trailer. It was black ice that did that. Yep. Yeah. Uh mm-hmm. We we supported us rise against it, this one off show in Spokane about a year and a half ago, and we were driving back over the pass, and it was the roads were all snow, and our van just started going. You know, the trailer slid out, and we were doing probably fifty or sixty on the freeway, and we just did full circles like three of them with our van and trailer. <laughs> what the fuck? That's when you start flashing. Yeah, the, the life flashes right there. Yeah. That's when everybody in the van is silent. And all you can hear is the fucking sound of the wind. And you're just like, wow, we're going to die. Cool. Yeah, cool. <laughs> <laughs> you're the only
0: person I know that would say that. Um, secrets of Hygiene on the road. Secrets of Hygiene? Is that a, is it is there secrets? I think it's also a band name, but... What (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) secrets of hygiene? I think it's on uh,
1: side one, dummy. Secrets of hygiene: taking as many showers as you can, whenever you can. It's key. You don't have like
0: your kind of cheat sheet thing. Some people get baby wipes. Some people get
1: no. You know, I I understand why people use baby wipes. That makes sense. You know, I I don't know. I don't need. I don't need to use baby wipes. I don't really have that problem. <laughs> <laughs> you smell nice. Yeah. You know. Uh, and a final question:
0: um, uh, the fan that affected you the most.
1: <clears throat> Man, there are so many. There are so many fans. Because it, that is another thing about you is that you really do care about your fans. Yeah. I mean, I. You know, I guess. Fans, there's you know, the people that listen to our band really really care about us. And it's... We're not one of those bands where, you know, if you're a fan of you, you're just kind of like, yeah, I like them. Or, nah, they're all right. Like, you either fucking love us, and you bring us presents, and you come to fucking as many shows as you can, or you fucking hate us, and you want to talk shit, and you want to beat me up. Like, that's the... You know, we don't have really kind of the in-between fans. And, uh... There are so many kids that I've gotten letters from and talked to uh, at shows that I I don't know if I could really single out one kid. Maybe maybe that guy that wrote A.P. a letter from prison. Remember that?
0: I don't remember it.
1: Uh, After you guys put out that op-ed piece, Mm. he wrote a letter to you guys saying, you know, this is a big inspiration. I wish I had something like music, like Will had. And I I totally got that letter and wrote him back. Oh you did. Mm-hmm. I don't know, man. There's been so many instances where people will come up and say, you know, my mom just died. Your band helped me stay alive. And I guess that, that's way more rewarding and selling them fucking million records or being on mtv or being rich or any of the bullshit whatever you know it's interesting maybe kind of a a regeneration effect where the band and music kept you alive and now you're keeping others alive yeah and it's something that's so it's so powerful for me because that's me you know when i was 15 years old that's me behind Rock Handy, like, Waiting for No Effects, or Goldfinger, or Mill and Collin, or...
0: Mill and Connor.
1: You know, yeah, any of those bands going, you fucking saved my life, thank you. Goodbye. And it's just, like, some face, you know, some faceless kid in some town in America who who just wanted to say thank you. And that's, that's totally fucking me when I was 15. So. Let's see, um... Let's see what comes out of you
0: next. I think it's going to be interesting.
1: It's going to be hurtful, Mike. It's going to be hurtful to some people.
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna. Uh, I'll get protective clothing
1: on. <laughs> <laughs> it's me. You know, it's, it's, it's going to be fucking. It's going to be me uncensored. It's going to be Aiden uncensored. Get ready. Thank you
0: for coming in. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And uh, and. Uh... You can finish your donut now. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> the AP Podcast has been sponsored by Epitaph Records, featuring new releases from Leathermouth, Thursday, Newfound Glory, and Bring Me the Horizon. For more information on all Epitaph Records news, release schedules, and exclusive videos and merch, sign on to Epitaph.com. AP podcasts are recorded at Lava Room Recording Studio in Cleveland, Ohio, a New York City quality studio at Cleveland Prices. Check out www.lavaroomrecording.com. For more information on Alternative Press Magazine, go to www.altpress.com. The podcast engineer is John Walsh. Post-production assistance from Robert Tenzi. I'm Mike Shea, and this is All My Fault. You can reach me directly at www.myspace.com slash Mike AP. That's S-H-E-A like the stadium, AP.